Good morning once again. Uh, it's good to be with you. We're going to get started this morning. Um, as some of you can already see, there's a screen up on the stage. I'll, uh, just get, I'll introduce it this way to you. Um, we have been in a series for the past six weeks called The Good Life, Human Flourishing According to Jesus, based on the Sermon on the Mount. It's been going, I think, reasonably well. It's been helpful, interesting, learning a lot about what Jesus has to say about various things. Last week, we talked about anger. That was fun. <laughs> okay, it was, it was a learning experience. And uh, all of our messages, by the way, are online on our YouTube channel, but also we stream every Sunday, so you can check that out. But I thought this week that we would, not just because of Father's Day, but kind of, we don't normally as a church uh, stop where we're at in a series uh, to do either a Mother's Day or a Father's Day message, not that we're against it or whatever, but it's like we you know, it's a hallmark occasion. We do understand that, right? And so we, we usually just keep going and we give a little nod and we say, uh, happy Mother's Day, happy Father's Day, and we go back into the Word and we keep learning and teaching. But, but this year, for a lot of reasons, I felt uh, the Holy Spirit saying, hang on, uh, this might be a really good opportunity at this time um, in the life of our church, um, but also in the world that we're in today to to talk about a subject called manhood. <laughs> uh, the other reason why I think the Lord put it on my mind, as many of you know, for the last two or three weeks, I've been strongly recommending a book uh, by Brant Hansen. Uh, the book is called The Men We Need. Uh, I have read in my life, I'm an avid reader, I read constantly books and Christian books, mostly in theology and all the rest of it, and I love it, but uh, I've read all the books, I think, in the last 10, 15 years about manhood, Right? And, and I, got, I have to say, on average, I, I'm like, I don't, I don't really like them, <laughs> on average, okay? Because it's and nothing against our friends south of the border, but it's, it's a very, you know, macho man kind of thing, you know? It's, it's even in the Christian realm, it's this, it's this macho man, right? And there's lots of guys in, in, like David, you know, like in the Bible. You can find lots of macho men in the Bible, and yet he had a heart after God, right? Um, and he was a... He was a shepherd who sang songs, right? Um, so anyway, uh, this book, again, I have to state, is fantastic. Uh, the author's funny, he's humorous, but his teaching is, is really, really good. I, I, I think it's one of the best I've ever read. So that's um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this today. And uh, the other is that um, I think if we consider the times we're in, and I'm going to look at this with you this morning, um, knowing what it means to be a man, I, I think, is more uncertain and more confusing than ever. Maybe? I'm a little older than most of you, but again, I read, and I read, and I, I, I always watch the culture. My previous business experience was such that I was into psychology and motivation and things like that, watching the culture, what motivates people. So that's still to this day, and I, I got to tell you, it's changed a lot. So um, normally the way we do things is I read a passage up front and expound on that passage. We're going to get there. It's going to be a little bit different today. We're going to get to the texts more near the end. Uh, so what I'm going to suggest at this point in time is we pray now because I'm going to need it. And some of you men in this room, you're going to need it. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you, Father, that it's true that every one of us in this room has had a dad. We've had a father. We've had grandfathers. 
some of whom we've known, some maybe we haven't known. Um, Lord, I know, you know, that all of our experiences are not the same. Um, some, of, some of us have difficult father relationships or had difficult father relationships. Nonetheless, we had a dad. And so, Father, today we, we simply want to celebrate good dads, what, what fatherhood is supposed to be all about, but also, Lord, good men. We need good men. And that's what you're calling us to be, Lord. So, I, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity this morning with the men and the women in this room and watching online to just look at this and, and to look at this from your perspective, from your word, especially in the days that we live in. So, Lord, I need your help today. Um, Lord, I am confident of what you say. But, Lord, these are, these are challenging words. These are challenging times. So I pray, Lord these would be received well and in the right heart. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and as men, challenge us as well. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So as I began to consider this series, which, you know, like when I, when I, when I get into my mind, I'm going to do something like this. Usually, like for the first four or five hours, I'm like, yeah. And then I start getting nervous, right? Because it's like, Going through books of the Bible, verse by verse, you, you, like, you know what the theme is, you're just following, you just keep going, right? But when it's kind of, quote, topical, it's, it's a little bit more challenging. So I thought to myself, wait a second, 11 years ago, I did, a, I did a six-week series for the Rock Church. It was called Real Manhood, Real Womanhood, Real Marriage. And for the two, two, first two weeks, I beat up the men, <laughs> seriously. And then to the second two weeks was a little gentler with the ladies, of course, right? And then put the two together for the last two weeks, Real Marriage. You know, I, I'm not bragging when I say this. Trust me, I'm not. But it actually went really well. Um, the Two Manhood series was... The thing that I remember the most about it is I finished the messages. And honestly, I did... I, I got in their grill. Like, I mean, the Word of God gets in your grill. And I pressed into it. And I had... I, I still remember a number of young 20-something wives coming up to me afterwards and going, thank you so much for that. And then they would add... I hope he was listening, <laughs> right? right? And I'm like, well, me too. And in fact, it, it, went, it went well enough that uh, one of the, well, the lead pastor at the time of Northview Church, one of our sending churches and supporting churches, had listened to one of those messages and said, we got a men's retreat coming up in a couple of months. Would you like to be the speaker? I mean, this is what you should do. This is awesome. Like, it's pretty good. Not awesome, but it's pretty good. Like, you could do that. And so I did. And, and so, like, just giving you the context, it, it, it went over well. <laughs> and then, then I started, okay, well, I'll go to my notes. I thought, there's probably something in those messages that I could use this morning. Right? And so I'm, I'm looking at the notes, and I'm rereading them, and I'm going, I don't know if I can preach that today. I mean it. Now, listen, please hear me. It was biblical. It was true. I think it was kind. But I, I, I came to the realization, not that I'm afraid to don't misunderstand. In the last 10 years, the change in our world and our culture related to these subjects has been incredible. And so it's... It, it, it feels like I should be welling, wearing some kind of, what do the police officers wear? What is that? You know, a vest of some kind, right? Bulletproof vest, because like, 
it's only been 10 years. It's only been 10 years. But I feel like our culture has moved so much on these subjects that it would be very difficult. And again, as I say, you could go, listen, they're online. It was quite biblical, <laughs> and I hope today would be as well. I referred to this a few months ago in another message that whereas at one point those who are not of our faith, who are not Christian, uh, would have had the opinion of myself and most of you maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago that, you know, like pat us on the head, you know, you, you lovely little uh, you know, people who are not terribly scientific and you, you believe in this good fairy god in the sky and, you know, you've got this dream of an afterlife that's going to be like, you know, violins playing and all the rest. Well, good for you. That's, that's wonderful. And, and they, were, they were kind of dismissive and kind of like that. You, I'm just making that up a little bit. But, but the idea is, is that they basically saw us as harmless, right? You, you teach what you want to teach. You believe you want to believe in your little churches and in your homes, and that's awesome. Good for you. There's been a significant shift. I don't know if you've noticed it. There's been a significant shift. What Christians believe to be true about, let's just say, one subject, human sexuality, but there are many others. Today in our culture, it's, it's like this. What, what's happened is we've moved from being harmless to being people who are dangerous. And quite frankly, what we believe is denying other people the ability to flourish as human beings. And so now we're being seen as part of the problem, not part of any solution whatsoever. When we hear words like, listen, I'm just going to say them because it's true. I mean, it's being taught in our schools. We hear words like toxic masculinity, white male privilege, and of course, the evil patriarchy. I think at some point in time, some of men in our world, in our churches, must be going, well, hold on a second. I don't think that's what I am or who I am, and I certainly don't want to be seen that way. But they're hearing it. And so add to that when you have a, and I know this is very current, and I'm going to touch some buttons here, but you have a candidate for the U.S. Supreme Court who's asked a question, and again, I, listen, I, you know, I understand the question she was asked was kind of like, was that really appropriate to ask her that question? But anyway, she was asked the question, what is a woman? And her answer was, I do not know. I am not a biologist. Now, listen, I mean, I, I don't want to mock. I really don't. Because, listen, the, the, the person asking the question had, a, had an agenda, too. But, but the conversation that happened after that online continually, and then other people coming out on talk shows and various other shows, and, and essentially you know, saying the same thing, it, it just became like listening to their understanding of what it means to be a woman was like, hmm, excuse me, like, can, can, I, I, I learned what a woman was in grade six. So my point being, asking the question today, what is a man, is potentially risky. <laughs> Nonetheless, I'm going to go there. So here's my thought as a preface. I feel for men today. I really feel for young men today. I, I, I feel like, and I look back on these things when I grew up, it was way simpler, man. It was way simpler. I, I joke about the fact that when I was in my teens, sure, I, 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 I had two problems that I was concerned about. I'd, actually, three. One, whether I'd make the rep team this year in hockey. The second was whether girls would start liking me. And the third was acne. Like, that was, that was pretty much it. Like, those were my world problems. 
And, and so when it came to, you know, uh, looking for what it meant to be a man, I, 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 there were essentially two places that I would go to. First was my dad. My, my father, like, he was my hero growing up as a kid. And, and then I got older my teens, and many of you know the story. My dad was a functional alcoholic and, and so forth. He was a good dad. He was a lovely man. He loved me. Uh, but, but I remember learning this about being a man from my father, who would come home almost every night, have a few beers, have a nap, and then get up and drink some more. But he would wake up every morning at 6 a.m., shower, shave, and be out the door to either be a bricklayer or a supervisor on a construction site for most of his life. And I learned from my dad that, you know what? you got to get up and go to work. That's what a man does. The women do it too, okay? But to me, that's what a man looked like. You know, no matter what, you get up in the morning, you shave and shower, and you show up on time, and you go to work, and you do... And my dad, like, what I learned from him was not only the work ethic, but he provided for my mom, for my sister, and I. He wasn't making a lot of money, but we had, honestly, in our neighborhood, which was a working-class neighborhood in the city of Toronto at the time, and now it's full of beamers, right? Uh, we were... We had the best, so I learned a lot from my dad. But then we also were being raised in this cultural soup at the time of macho men that were on display for us, right? Through whether it was TV, movies, magazines, etc. We, we had, of course, the Marlboro Man. Anybody remember the Marlboro Man? All right, okay. Like, this is a dude, man. He, he hasn't shaved for three days. I look like a Duke of Ore if I don't shave for a few days, so I can't grow a beard. But anyway, he's got that rough thing. He's sitting on a horse with a cowboy hat, and he's smoking a Marlboro. Macho Man. This is a man. Real men smoke cigarettes. That was the message. I don't know if you got the memo, but I got it. Started smoking when I was 16. And then there was, of course, the Hollywood macho man. Who was the champion of that? John Wayne. Yo, pilgrim. You know, I do his voice way better some other times. But, but there was also the rebel guy, James Dean, right? There was a myriad of heroes, whether it was on television, in movies, in books, whether they were athletes or musicians, well, that's a man. That's a man. And so you, you, you look at some of those things and you absorb some of those things, and I did. But that actually the beginning for me of what I believe is becoming a real man was when uh, my high school music teacher, after I'd graduated from high school, decided to take me for lunch and because I wasn't going to university to fulfill a, a partial ride in, on a music scholarship that I had, he wanted to make sure that I was going to at least press in and learn marketing and business in the business that I was working in, and he decided to mentor me. And a few other men started mentoring me, and then I became a, a Christian at 23 years of age, and men started discipling me. Right? And I, I got to tell you, in, in 40 years, those are the relationships that have taught me more about being a man than anything else. And if I am anywhere near um, a good husband and a good father and a halfway decent pastor, not nearly perfect, as I mentioned last week, he's still working on me. Those are the reasons why. And that's where I learned these things. So as I said, as I look around today, I have great concern for men. And again, especially for young men. I, I honestly believe if I was 16, 17, 18 today, I don't know if I would fare so well. So, so parents of young boys, you understand. So 
All that said, here's how I want to go about this today with you, okay? I'd like to approach this subject for all men here, all men here in the room who are watching online, fathers, single men, every man in this room. And I want to look at it this way. I want to look at the lives of two men in the Bible. One who I'm going to suggest is a rather poor example in many ways. A man whose example many men today sadly and in some cases unknowingly are following in his footsteps. Some of us are from time to time as well. Secondly, the model of a very good man. (laughs) A very good man whose way of life every man could learn much from what it means to be a man. So the first man I want to look at with you is, his name is Adam. Anybody remember him? I'm going to give him the title that I'm borrowing from Brant Hansen's book, The Passive Man. Okay? It's actually the title of one of his chapters. So you all know the basics of his story, of course. Um, we meet Adam specifically in Genesis 2 in our Bibles, the, second, the first book of the Bible, the second chapter, uh, which are the details of the creation of this garden that God created for Adam and Eve, and then the creation of Adam and the creation of Eve and putting them together in marriage. And uh, so we know that about him. We also know this. It follows directly on after chapter 1, where God speaks and says, as a plural, Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image. And he made them male and female. And then we read these words from God, who said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in these words, we have God literally commissioning them. He's literally commissioning them. But it's interesting, they're they're not necessarily Adam and Eve yet. Yes, they they are in the next chapter, but so I want to suggest to you, this is the commission for all of us. This is the commission for all of us. God gave us the responsibility to be fruitful and multiply. Listen, his creation. People often just think, well, that means make babies, right? Yes, if you're married and you can and you want to or you feel called to, but it's about multiplying creation, plants and animals and caring for and providing and having dominion over, which doesn't mean pillage and plundering. It means protecting and providing for. Multiplication can also mean making disciples who make disciples. Amen? That's making babies. New children of God. And so we see this here. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Then in chapter 2, we read the details of the creation of Adam first. We read about his role and responsibility, and then the creation of Eve to be his, listen, perfect partner in life. I'm using that phrase intentionally. I know the Bible says that she was... She was made to be his helper or his helpmeet. And I also know that in our world today, most women go, hold on, <laughs> right? But the Hebrew, the intonation there means his perfect match, perfectly made for him, complementary to him. The same in value and worth before God, but different. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for that. That's a really important thing. So, 
In chapter 2, we also read about this beautiful garden that he created just for Adam and soon Eve to live in. And then we read these words in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to to, to look, work it, and keep it. So it's it's one verse, just 20 words in the ESV translation. And we see Adam's here job description. And frankly, ours as men, too, I want to suggest to you. Brant Hansen puts it simply in his book, I love this, that we are called men to be keepers of the garden. You all know that my wife is into permaculture. She's the one with the green thumb. I am reluctantly out there building fences and doing things with her. But it's in a broader sense, this keeper of the garden, right? I love the way he puts that. So, so, so far, so good, right? God has commissioned them, we know that, but he's now given Adam specifically, the man, a job description. You're to work it and keep it. You're to be the keeper of the garden, Adam. Then this is important. The Lord gives Adam a very specific and important command. You all know it's coming. To go along with this job description. The Lord points out, listen, there there are hundreds of trees in this garden, Adam, look around, they're beautiful. They all have fruit on them, right? There are hundreds of them. You're, You're to protect them, provide for them, keep them, multiply them, look after them, and you're to eat from them. But Adam, there's one tree. Now listen to me, okay? I'm your God, I love you, I put you here. Don't eat of that tree. Don't let anyone eat of that tree, Adam. Why? If you do, you will die. So on top of the job description, I want to suggest to you, God has given Adam, the man, a specific responsibility as keeper of the garden. This is responsibility that he's given to him. The responsibility is to ensure that not only he, but no one else eats of this fruit. Why? Because they will die. Protect, Adam. You have a responsibility, Adam. So far, so good, right? This is great. He's got a job description. He's got a responsibility. Oh, man. Well, next, God puts Adam to sleep, where, as some people like to say, some of us men do our best work. Okay, that was a ta-dum-dum. No, no, okay. All right, we'll just keep going. And by taking one of his ribs, yes, one of his ribs, From his side, it's important, he creates Eve. He brings her to him as he wakes. And well, Adam literally is beside himself, is the image that we see there. He breaks out into a song, the first words recorded in scripture of a man, of a human being. And he says, this at last, she at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So Adam is justifiably, I want to suggest, smitten. Like, this is the perfect woman. I mean, God made her for him. Come on, right? She's the perfect woman. And he's pretty pleased that God has provided such a perfect woman for him. So then God institutes marriage. They become one flesh. And what happens next? The honeymoon. What? We don't read about it. It must have been a really short one. Yeah, exactly. So at this point, I just want to suggest Adam had a whole pile of potential, didn't he? God, you guys, 
If, if you're raised at, and at 21 years of age, your father says to you, okay, son, here you go, there it is. Not, not only have I provided you with this brand new million dollar house in the, the backyard with all the vegetation in it, but by the way, I found this, this woman for you. Isn't she nice? And, and you're like, dad, this is awesome. So much potential. As does, I want to suggest, every one of you here today. He had a good job to go to and to do, one that, was, that he was specifically created for and to do, and he was given a position of responsibility, listen, not over, but for. Boy, that's hard for some of us men to figure out. It's a responsibility not over, but for. Please remember that. And listen, it's also a responsibility for all of creation. So when Eve arrives as his perfect mate, the guy is set. Everything should go well. Well, again, you know what happens. Chapter 3 happens, right? Honeymoon must have been really short. I don't know. I, I wish there was something in there about Maui, but there isn't. So let me summarize for you what happens. You know the story, but let's look at it. Chapter 3 opens with the devil approaching Eve one day in the garden, and he, the cunning guy that he is, asks her this deceitful question. Did God really or actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Again, you know, she replies, not thinking this guy's a threat, obviously. She replies that actually we're not to eat, we're able to eat of any tree in the garden, but we're not to eat of this one tree or touch it, she says. So that's interesting. Adam wasn't told that. I'm pretty sure, we don't know for sure that Adam didn't tell her about the touching part, but she did. So first human being who starts adding to the word of God, and she does that. Well, it's downhill from that point on. You know that. And I believe looking at the scenario, looking how wise and cunning he is, he, he, knows, he knows he's deceived her. He knows he's got her because he actually knows God's word too. And he knows what God told Adam, and it wasn't about touching it. And so what he does next is he actually lies twice to her. He tells her, yeah, listen, Bottom line is, if you eat of this fruit, here's the bottom line. God's holding back. If you eat of this fruit, you'll be just like him. You'll be God. Essentially, you won't need him. But secondly, you will not die. She eats of the fruit, and then you know these words, but let's look at them. Verse 3, uh, pardon me, 6 of chapter 3. She also gave some to her husband. Look at this who was with her. I remember being a Christian for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, and I never saw that part. <laughs> I always assumed that Adam was over there, like, tending the garden, you know, working on the tomatoes or something, or making a bench or something, you know, I don't know, and that Eve was off being deceived and whatever. And then I hear a sermon, and all of a sudden it's like, hold on, it says right there. He was with her, and he ate. And so Adam, the keeper of the garden, the one responsible, is right there all the time. So the question is, what is he thinking? <laughs> Answer, he's not. He's not thinking. So here's what we have as a synopsis. The garden that Adam is the keeper of is threatened. The garden is threatened. And what does Adam do? 
Nothing. He doesn't step up. His beautiful wife, who he's just married, is under spiritual attack. She's being lied to. And again, what does he do? Not a thing. Then listen, after letting Eve be the guinea pig, honestly, isn't that what he did? He was told, if you, if you eat of this, you will die. And so he's like, check it out, honey. I'm sorry, but I don't know how any nicer way to put it. Think about that this week, ways in which we just don't protect our women, our wives. And so she passes the fruit to Adam, and what does he do at that point? He's like, okay, didn't hurt her. He just follows suit. He takes the easy way out. So from this point, the story goes from bad to worse for Adam because you know what happens. The God who loved him and loved her so much that loved us, who created this beautiful world, this beautiful garden, comes looking for who? He comes looking for Adam, the one he made responsible for the situation. And again... What does Adam do? Anybody? He hides, right? He, he hides from God. That's funny. He hides. And when God calls him out for his lack of responsibility, what does he do? This is pretty rich, girls. You know this, right? He goes, her. <laughs> and, and, and literally, he doesn't just blame her. He blames God, right? In, in the 12th verse, he says, the woman you gave me, this is, this is on you, buddy. The woman you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. She, 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 he might as well have said, she made me do it. I love this. In his book, Brant Hansen puts it this way in conclusion to this story that I'm rephrasing to share with you this morning. He says, passive man is a disappointment at best and a threat at worst. The good news is you can make a decision right now to be different, men. Don't be passive man. Or listen, his underperforming fellow superhero, blaming guy. (laughs) No one respects him either. I know, I know, I know. In his book, this is an author that some of you will be like, yes, and some of you will be like, oh, I don't know why he's mentioning his name. In his book, 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson challenges young men to get up and make their beds. Listen, I'm going to make a really bold statement here, but besides some pastors who preach the truth, and there are some that will, this man has, in a lot of ways, done more to help young men in these last 10 years to grow up and not be boys, but be men. And that's actually his heart. The first two chapters of his book, the first chapter is titled, Stand Up Straight With Your Shoulders Back. You're a man. Don't be like this, you know, like, oh, passive guy. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Second chapter is, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. <laughs> and I don't agree with everything. Don't, don't misunderstand, please. I don't under- agree with everything. But on some of these points, I think he's extremely right. I saw a quote that he made a few weeks ago that applies to what I'm saying to you this morning. He said this, and I think it's important. 
If you think tough men are dangerous, male toxicity, wait until you see what weak men are capable of. So men, on this point in conclusion, I want to suggest this to you. There's a little bit, in maybe some cases, a lot of Adam still in us. Eh? Amen? Can be. And today, when the rules of engagement with both other men and women are becoming very unclear, when it's possible to be seen, yes, as that toxic male or a card-carrying member of the evil patriarchy, well, it's understandable that you might want to become passive. I'm not petitioning here for aggressiveness. Please hear me. No. But passive? I'm also suggesting it's not the best option. So let's be aware of those times and situations that arise in our lives. And instead, let's be keepers of the garden. Let's be men who take responsibility. Seriously. I love the way, again, Hanson puts it, and this will be my last quote from him before we move on. But it's beautiful. This is kind of a suggestion as how you and I men should like, wake up every morning and we should kind of think about our day. He says this, the people in your neighborhood at your school, or at your workplace should be or feel safer because you're there. And look, even though they might not even know, you are there. I can stand up with my shoulders back and, and I can go to work every day thinking, you know what, that's a good job description and it's a fantastic responsibility in every facet of the human life. So that's Adam. That's passive man. Who can we look at next? I'm going to propose the fully engaged man, and his name is Paul. After meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, the apostle, you know the story, became a very different man, right? Like, boom. Serious change. Jesus. He's not perfect yet, but being perfected every day. Listen, from the beginning, he understood the mission. He understood God's call on his life, and he pursued it with all his worth. Early on in his ministry, as he was traveling and teaching in synagogues and in the marketplace, Paul met a young man by the name of Timothy in a town called Lystra. He'd heard good things about Timothy, not just his pedigree in some respects, as we'll see, but, but also just some good things. He was like in his early 20s, this Timothy. And he, like within his church, he was serving and he was reading his Bible. And, so he, and he said, listen, I'm going to continue to go on my journey to plant churches. You come with me. While I'm following Jesus, you follow me. And he took Timothy with him. And for years, he discipled Timothy and many others as well, until eventually leaving Timothy in Ephesus as an elder and pastor to that church, and also for a time in the church in Corinth. And listen, especially in Ephesus, this was a tough task for Timothy. Really hard church. The letters that we have, First and Second Timothy, are Paul's responses to letters that Timothy sent to him and with instructions to Timothy as he attempts to lead this difficult church where there are many, listen, false teachers in the church. There are older men who disrespect him because he's younger. They're like, hey, by the way, Sonny, these are the hymns that we sing here, okay? Not those. And this is the way we do things. And, you know, you don't really know your Bible as well as we do. He had that problem. And so Paul's writing to him to encourage him about that. In the second letter, and in chapter 3, 
We reread Paul responding to Timothy's concerns. And if you read the beginning of chapter 3, it's not going to be on screen, but I'm going to give you some highlights from it. Paul's responding, obviously, to a discouraged Timothy. He's in labor in this church for four or five years. He's doing his best. He's preaching the word. He's doing what he knows is right or what he believes is right. And Paul literally says this to him. Essentially, he says, Timothy, listen, it's to be expected to find people, even in the church, who are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Oh, this is a great list, isn't it? Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Then Paul says these words in a second. Hold on before we put them up. These words have meant a lot to me for many, many, many years. 25 years ago, I got invited to go to a men's retreat with a Bible teacher from England whose name was Dr. David Gooding. He was a professor of Greek at the Belfast University, um, emeritus, amazing, godly man. He also did missions trips to Russia with his good friend, Dr. John Lennox. If any of you know John Lennox, an incredible apologist, they would go into Russian universities and, and they would debate atheists. And they were the result of many churches being planted in Russia. But to go and be with this man for one week, we had to memorize the next t- seven verses in Ephesians, no, Second Timothy chapter 3. I can't recite them to you today because I originally memorized them in the King James Version, of course. And, uh, but we had to go before an elder in our church and recite these verses in order to be accepted into the class. And I got to go and, and, and learn from this man on three separate occasions for a week with 25 to 30 other men. He purposed at 21 years of age while he was engaged that he was not going to get married, that he would spend his life discipling men. He died... In 2019, at 94 years of age, this passage means a lot. I hope it will to you too. After responding to Timothy that way, Paul then says this in verse 10. You, Timothy, however, Timothy, remember this. You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. Timothy, you remember, you were there. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. You rescued me. And you remember that too, right? So here we get, in my opinion, one of the most amazing examples of what it means to be a man. A man who makes disciples. A man who is a man of God. He says, Paul says, look, you have followed my teaching. So, so what happened over those 10 years before he left them in Ephesus? He's opening the Bible with them. He's discipling. He's teaching him the word of God. And, and in these words, he's saying, Timothy, I know by the witness of others in your church, you are following what I taught you. Why? Because you're teaching it too. Man, that's encouraging. Not only that, listen, Timothy, you followed my conduct. So while we were together, you watched me. You watched how I responded. Not always perfectly, 
But if I needed to say I was sorry or apologize or confess sin or whatever, I did. And so you saw that. You, you were with me. And, and listen, you followed it too. And he goes on, you followed my aim in life. He, what did Paul say about his aim in life? The goal? The upward calling in Christ until I die. Timothy followed that as well. And it goes on, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, all of these things. And now, listen, he encourages Timothy right after that. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, people are going to hate your sermons. (laughs) It's a form of persecution. I just want to let you know right now, okay? No, there will be persecutions, and it hurts, man. Yeah. All who desire a, a, to live a life, God, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, while evil people, imposters, will go on from bad to bad, worse to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Basically saying, look, what happened to me will happen to you. It will happen to any man of God who follows this model. It will. And then he says, again, but as for you, I love this. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Essentially, Paul says to him, forget about all that. Man, I wish I could. Forget about those who look down on you for your young age. Forget about those who will not listen to the word of God. Instead, look, you continue, you press on, don't worry about it. Timothy, you're doing a great job. Listen to me, guys. This is man talk. This is a man building up another man. It's really helpful. The other beautiful picture that we see in there is he he reminds him about something. Timothy was the son of a, a Greek man who we believe was possibly not a Christian, but he was instructed in the scriptures, and Paul tells us at the beginning of 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, I can't remember now, uh, that remember, remember your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice? I can never forget that because my mom's name was Eunice, although she preferred the pronunciation Eunice. It was more regal, right? He's saying to them, remember you were taught as a child by your grandmother and your mom. Remember them too. They discipled you. They raised you well. And then he concludes with these very famous verses. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That, look at this, the man of God. Ladies, I understand. This is true for you too. It really is. But this is specifically talking to the man, Timothy, and to all men as an encouragement in this text may be, look, complete, equipped for what? Every good work. Equipped to be what? Keepers of the garden. To be responsible. To love your wives. To honor women. So these are two powerful verses that are often preached all on their own and for good reason. But let's not miss the context as I've suggested to you here. And the final words are very important. They tell you and I that real, this is how real manhood is actually achieved. All Scripture, men, is our guide for life. Scripture is your guide for life. It's all I got. It's all you've got, really. It's all you need is the Scripture, the Word of God. 
It's profitable for all those things listed above. And if we pursue it like Paul and Timothy and lead other men to do the same, we will be a man of God. We will be complete. We will be equipped for every good work. Amen. Let's pray. Not done. Almost. Important point. The Apostle Paul did not have children of his own. You know that, right? Not that we know of. He didn't have children of his own, blood children. But he wrote these words to the church in Corinth to encourage them in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 in 1 Corinthians. He wrote, I urge you, now he's writing to all of them in that church, to be imitators of me. Oh, that's a pretty bold statement. Well, he's already said before, imitate me like I imitate Christ. That's the implication. But then look what he says. This is why I have sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful, look, child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. So Timothy was a son in the faith to Paul. Sons in the faith, listen, men, please, are those whom we disciple. Now, I understand. Trust me. Been there, got the T-shirt. Love those T-shirt analogies. Many of you have children. And yes, your responsibility is to disciple your children along with your wife. Come on. Of course it is. I have to make this point. It's really important. This is in addition to that, is the point. It's how you and I grow into becoming a real man of God. Some of us, some of you, I know this has been true for me for much of my life, are actually looking for our discipling from other preachers online. I know there are really amazing preachers out there. Uh, Authors. Podcasts, blogs, articles, social media, good information. It's good information, but can I again be really clear? They can't disciple you. That's, that's not the way it works. In fact, they, they, they could disciple you by leading you astray. That's also possible. That's not my point. The, the point is this. Many of us spend a lot of time on that. And so we can make the excuse, like, I don't, besides my wife, she's demanding, okay, all you women are awesome. Um, my kids, you know, like, I've got to disciple them. I don't really have time to, 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 to do that, pastor. I'll let you go before the Lord this afternoon and, and ask him whether or not you do or you do not. But those other forms cannot They are about you receiving and consuming. They are not about you being involved. And so I like to put it this way. You need to be in a discipling relationship personally. And it needs to look like this. Someone further along than you in their walk in faith with Christ as a man needs to be discipling you. What does that mean? You need to get together with him. And then you need to be replicating that because we are called to to make disciples who make disciples. And so what you're leaning, and so did Timothy do that? Sure he did. In the churches that he pastored and he led in, he did that. By the way, those men who could mentor and disciple you are here. 
And those whom you could disciple are also here and need to be discipled really badly. Talk to me if you're not sure who they might be. Finally, I have a word for the ladies. (laughs) You can, regardless of your marital status here today, you can be an absolutely huge encouragement to us guys, especially in these days. You can really encourage us. You can call us to be real men, to be godly men. You can and you should call us to be pure. You can exhort us. Yes, you can pray for us. But listen, I'm going to use the word. You can help us. (laughs) We need help from godly women. And also, when in the unlikely event that we actually exceed all expectations, you could give us some praise. You could pat us on the back. I'm so grateful for my wife. I think she does it too often, actually. But I'm very grateful for that. Also, for those of you who are married women here today, I, I know that some of you are like, listen, I, I, I need to have encouragement from other women, and, and quite frankly, I just need to have some girl time. Yes, you do. Absolutely, you do. Can I just encourage you about one thing? Because I think it's really important. I'll leave you with this this morning. Could you insist that your husband has that same time with other men? Would you? In our church, in this day, I think that would be really important. Pray with me, would you?